0: wanted to go through a couple announcements before we we actually have a very special guest speaker today. Um, next week, I just wanted to remind everyone, next week is going to be our family reunion lunch, so uh, please stick around. Hopefully, for those of you who have been able to join us, you've been able to get to know uh, some more people that you didn't know before, and you shared a meal, and and just as a family, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to uh, build relationships here. Uh, today is also the last day to sign up for Stephen Ministry, I believe, Yeah. And we are, if you are interested at all or you're curious at all, you could talk with, uh, it looks like only Stanley and, oh, and Keaton, Stanley, Esther, Keaton uh, are here. So talk to them if you're interested. Um, You want to sign up or you want to learn more. And finally, the last thing that's not in your bulletin. The All Home of Christ Retreat registration is up. Yeah, so uh, very exciting. It's actually, you'll see the a slide in the announcements after we're done, but you could start signing up for the All Home of Christ Retreat. So it's the weekend of August 4th up at Sonoma State. We have an excellent speaker this year. We know the, the praise team has already been practicing and, and getting ready for all that. So uh, please mark that in your calendar. Well, today we have a very special guest speaker. He's actually come before, and so... Um, we're, we're, we're very fortunate to have him back. Alan, uh, Alan's son actually grew up in this area. He's a very local boy. Uh, I was talking with one of Kaya's uh, substitute teacher, and he doesn't remember me, but he remembers Alan. So when I, when I went up to introduce myself to him, I said, Mr. Stephen, you don't know who I am, but you remember Alan's son. I'm Alan's friend. So Alan gives me a lot of credibility, street cred, in the junior high world at Kennedy Alan's son is married to Anna. Uh, They are both on staff with Varsity in the San Diego area. Uh, You can read more about Alan in the announcements, but would you please welcome Alan's son with me?
1: Great. Good morning. That's funny that, that... Uh, Pastor Dean ran into uh, Mr. Stevens and I remember that. I just remember everything so vividly from Kennedy to Monta Vista and um, it feels like just yesterday but it's not because I uh, go running and I feel my body ache and so I know that it wasn't yesterday and I feel myself um, um, just uh, remembering things as I flew in. I flew in last night and through the storm and and the bumpy clouds and uh, I just remember just like wow like it's... Um, It just feels so beautiful and nice to be at home. Um, So I'm glad to be back here at Home of Christ, uh, to be uh, sharing God's Word to you all. Uh, I want to share really quickly about um, what I do. Uh, Home of Christ supports uh, Anna and myself as missionaries uh, onto the college campus. And this past uh, year at UCSD, we saw 40 conversions of faith. But overall, in the past seven years, we've seen about 2,500 students say yes to Jesus. And that's been amazing. So that's a picture Uh, One of the students I met this past fall, he was a freshman, his name was Tristan, and he immediately heard about Jesus, said, I want to follow him, and we prayed, we prayed just the prayer just to accept Jesus in his heart, and this is a picture taken right after, uh, in that moment, and so he's so excited to begin his new life, and I feel blessed just to be part of that journey, And to join in in what God's doing on college and university campuses. And so my wife and I, we get to do that. My wife's the one taking the picture. Dean was saying, "Uh, how come you don't have a picture of your wife here? Um, She's the one taking the picture. This is is last week. Uh, This is my son and daughter, uh, Daniel and Elena's son. And um, I uh, turned 37 this last week. And so uh, I was just thankful to celebrate with them. And actually, they ate all the donuts. And so (laughs) I didn't have any, but uh, I was glad to share with them. Uh, Usually, I guess, kids do that. So um, I want to. Well, uh, before we end, I'm just thankful to be invited back to preach. Um, Pastor Dean joked that if my last talk was good, then I would be invited back, (laughs) and so uh, I think I passed the test because I'm here today. Or it's uh, I'm also Dean's secret supplier of books at a discounted rate. So he really likes reading. So it might be that too. Uh, But I do remember as a student, and then as an employee. Uh, my main question was if I was doing a good job in my work. I went to UCSD as a college student and then I worked in biotech in San Diego before my current ministry uh, director role that I'm in right now. Uh, It didn't matter uh, if you like what you did in class, this is what I remember, but you just had to work hard. In my workplace, you just had to work hard. And like a very good Asian American student and then worker, that's what I did, I worked hard. I uh, put my head down, and that's what I did. And in the midst of that, I'm I'm sure for some of you in here that you never really had to worry about academics or, whoops, (laughs) about academics or performance like me. Uh, But in actuality, I think we all do in the back of our minds. We worry about how good are we doing at school? How, How hard are we working at the workplace that we've been called to? On this side of heaven, what happens is we incentivize good work with good grades and with money. However, the reality of Christian faith is this, is that God does not give out grades and God does not give out money for being just followers of Jesus, but he rewards our faith. The way that the Lord sees us in what we do is he sees our faith. I want to um, ask the question this morning is, well, what does work then mean to God? How are we called to live under the authority of others? And we're going to turn to the scriptures for that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 to 9. And I want to read both versions of the NIV and the message just to get a comparison. Sometimes Eugene Peterson, who's the author of the message, he has a, a unique twist or translation. I I, I remember vividly him saying, "God's taking the driver's seat. And there's helpful imagery and poetry in that, but we're going to look at the NIV also to see a closer comparison of what Ephesians 6 has to say to us today. So, I'm going to read this out. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you, each one, for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours, is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So now we're going to read the message version. Servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do. And work with a smile on your face. I love that. I love that that poetry. Work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Good work will get you good pay from the master, regardless of whether you are slave or free. This is our last slide. Masters, it's the same with you. No abuse, please, and no threats. (laughs) You and your servants are both under the same master in heaven. He makes no distinction between you and them. So I love that about um, the the message version, and it helps us understand a better picture of what's happening there. I want to pray for us again, just before we dive in a little bit more, just to invite the Lord's Spirit to speak, and not just me. So let's pray. Father, as we dive into your scriptures and kind of a muddy passage that has been used in various ways. Lord, we just pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds. God, would we see you for the person uh, that you are in Christ Jesus and the reality of your presence in the Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask that you would be here this morning with us. We give space for you to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, a brief overview of biblical slavery does need to be said here. We we must take ourselves out of this Western concept of slavery and enter into the biblical text and audience that the Ephesians is being written to. In the time frame, there was great diversity at different places uh, that, that was using slavery at that time. Ephesus, it was the fourth largest Roman city in the second century. Domestic and public slavery were the most widespread forms. In the former case of the domestic slavery, slaves were purchased and employed as a sign of wealth. As we could understand maybe household servants today, the more household servants someone had, the more rich they were. They were still independent. They had status of respect. And depending on the house they worked for, others would know about them. In Rome, slaves were not recognized as citizens until emancipated. And the conditions of slavery, they were very diverse in the New Testament. The New Bible Dictionary actually states that in Rome, they performed all sorts of duties in the absence of civil service. This is what surprised me when I was researching this. They would perform public services such as medicine or education that that were necessary to the city. And this this is the idea that we have to take our minds out of this Western concept of slavery and understand biblical slavery was very different. And sources of slavery came from uh, the, the birth of former slaves, uh, unwanted children, the, the sell of, sale of children, voluntary slavery due to debt, uh, punishment, uh, and kidnapping, and conquest. So obviously slavery itself, it, that's not the end goal. That's not what we're trying to say. Yeah, that was actually really good back then. And the New Testament or commentaries are even saying that was not ideal, but it was a larger part of this economic system that was going on at that time that was very different than what our Western minds might be thinking of what slavery is. And so what we want to do this morning is I want to focus first on the first half of the passage about work. There's a fundamental difference, and I have to say this, between slavery and the New Testament on employer-employee relationships. So we might read this and be like, well, this is, this is exactly like employer-employee relationships. Well, there's a professor of New Testament studies named William Webb. He writes of the difference saying this, that ownership, that's the big difference compared to a contractual basis for working relationships. That's the main difference, ownership and contractual uh, relationship. In modern contractual setting, we should not preach obedience to submission. This is the professor speaking. But that Christian employees should fulfill the terms of their contract to the best of their ability in order to bring glory to God and enhance their gospel witness. Christian employers, then, should not abuse their power in pursuit of the bottom line production, but advance their business in ways that value their employees as people and encourage their productive contribution in humane and just ways. Now, as I interpret Webb's view of redemptive interpretations of slavery, it's, it's... Seeing this passage as a call to fulfill your contractual duty when you're going to work, when you're driving, and you're stuck in traffic, and you're thinking about what you're doing. In our modern day context, we may joke about being owned by the company, that I'm just an employee number, or being a student on campus, I'm just a student number. But the reality is, we do have a freedom to quit. There's a greater also freedom in Christ if we say that we are followers of Jesus. It's because of that latter freedom in Christ that we're called to work with this fullness, uh, with sincere hearts, heartily, as uh, Eugene Peterson would say. And not simply quit when we're underappreciated. Uh, when I, I mentioned this earlier, that I worked at a biotech company in San Diego uh, after graduating UCSD. Our CEO's name was Greg Lucier. And my coworkers often joked that it sounded like Lucifer. It was only one letter off of that. And so essentially we would say, yeah, we work for the devil. Uh, we, we, we looked at our own work, and we looked at our pay, and it was easy to laugh about a man who was making millions per year. I, to, to be honest, I, I looked him up, and I looked at his last year's salary that he took in, and it was $6.8 million just last year. And he, that's not even counting the bonuses and stock and everything else, but that was just in one year. And it was tempting, it was tempting, for myself and my coworkers to take longer breaks to think about Lucifer over our heads and when we felt underappreciated or underpaid in a larger company. However, for me, I worked in the lab bench and I stayed longer than any others in my position. And I even came in during the weekends on occasions just to finish the projects that needed to be done. There was a lot of back order, there was a lot of things that needed to get through. And I remember just working as hard as I could. And my supervisor and coworkers noticed this. They would say, Alan, you, you've been working pretty hard and, and you've been coming in on the weekends. Like, why? And it, gained, it, it, it allowed me to gain favor with my coworkers and with my supervisors, and I was able to talk about my faith. I said, Yeah, I, I believe that as a Christian, I'm called to be honest and to work hard. Now, it wasn't always flowers and clouds and and, and it was so fun and I would work hard because my representation of faith was really tested uh, about one year in and I had to train a new employee and this was a a six-foot tall curly-haired white dude who wanted to play baseball I don't know how he ended up in the lab and he was not from a science background but he wasn't really aware of what he was doing how he came across to others so it was easy, it was really easy to join in the crowd just as we joined in the, talking about our CEO. It was easy to talk bad about him because, I mean, the, this person uh, literally mixed chemicals that almost set fire to our whole lab and endangered, like, employees. And so I joined in, in the banter because that's what you do. But then for me, it, it made me represent God poorly in that moment, and I felt bad about that. But friends, we do this with teachers we don't like, right? We do this with employers that are unfair, and when we feel unrecognized or underpaid for the work we do. So I'm not in favor of being gluttons for punishment at work or school. Uh, If those in power are truly abusive or unjust, then we need to say something. But I want to say if we're honest with ourselves at times, it's an inner angst, it's an inner dissatisfaction of not getting what we want, or having to deal with the things that we don't want to. So with that story, I'm, I'm saying this because what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about work? Well, in chapter 6, verse 6 of Ephesians, we're told not to people please, but to be servants of Christ, the Most High, doing work as if we were serving the Lord. The value is don't cut corners at work, don't chill, don't ste- steal, Uh, don't, don't give 50% of yourself. Uh, My first point is this. If you're following along and if you're writing in your bulletins, uh, this is what the first point is, is that God watches your work. So that can strike either fear or joy when I say that. And it depends on your view of God and it depends on how you work. So I want you to add with joy at the end of that so that God watches your work with joy. So lean into joy because it says in Scripture, for he delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Psalm 149.4. And it also says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Philippians 4.4. When we are doing work as if serving the Lord, he delights in us. It was even the result of the work of the cross, that Christ had joy as he faced what needed to be done. This surprised me, this, this idea that Christ would have joy as he would look to the cross and what it meant for us. In Hebrews 12, too, it states that it was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. So how did work come to exist for humanity, and why do sometimes we have a bitter taste about work? And, and some of us, I, I acknowledge that some of us love our work. We, love, we feel, uh, it feels purposeful, and it feels like we're advancing something. I want to understand then, then, where is this Genesis of work? So, we go to Genesis. So, in the Garden of Eden, it was paradise. Work was awesome. And humanity walked with God. God gave humanity responsibility. In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. In the earlier chapter of Genesis, God's call is to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. We are called to bring our creativity and God-given gifts to fill the earth. Work was not the result of sin. Because before Adam and Eve, before they even took of that forbidden fruit, we were told to copy what God did in creativity and work. And God did that in Genesis 1-1. He created the heavens and the earth and he gave humanity that command to work within this creation. The ground was cursed, but not the work. When God created, he called all things he made good. And I think that's worthy and worth it to just pause on. That God created all things good. That humanity was created good. Because some of us can still struggle with that idea. You see, friends, work was life-giving. It was purposeful because our significance was derived from a good, loving God. Work and family relationships were amazing in Genesis because there was ultimate trust and ultimate security with one another. Imagine that. Imagine if you walked into your workplace and you felt ultimate trust, ultimate security, you felt heard and understood. How would that change? Maybe for some of you in school if you had ultimate trust, all your teachers knew your name, and you could engage with them, what would that be like? I wish it were like that today. But that is what representatives of Christ need to do. To make others know that there once was a world like that, or there is going to be a world that is going to be like that. Last month, I asked a friend who works at Qualcomm in San Diego, uh, if we could start a prayer meeting during lunch at Qualcomm. I have friends who started Bible studies at Apple and Cisco and other spaces, so I thought, why not here? And this friend, he went on a one-year missions trip to Taiwan, and he was hesitant. He didn't understand workplace ministry or the need for it. And so earlier this month, he emailed me and said, Alan, what makes it worth gathering together from distant parts of Qualcomm just to pray when we're all together on Sunday anyways? Not to say I think it's I don't think it's a bad idea but to be honest I'm not just I'm just not excited about it yet for me my friend needed vision for why he and others were called to their workplaces you need vision for why you are in the place of work that God specifically puts you in a place of work or specifically puts you on that campus for a reason you have a story to tell I I tell this to my college students all the time There's a reason why you're at this community college. There's a reason why you're at the state school. There's a reason why you're at this private school. It's because God has a story that he's writing through you. Why did God place you there? Why does God have you? And when you think about your own current situation, why does God have you in the place you're at right now? I would say that the challenge and the majority of responses I get from my college students is, I don't know. Like, I don't know, I, my parents told me to be here, or I guess this is just the right next step. Uh, for many of us, that's the challenge also, is we might not know why we're in the place that we are at and why God has called us to work in the place we're at, the specific place. I'm not just saying in your profession or field. I'm saying the specific place, location, the address of which you are at. Why did God put you there? And that's okay. If you don't know, that's okay, because that's why we're here to make space to listen to what God has to say to you about why you're at, or why you are at the place you're at. So in verse eight in Ephesians, it tells us that the Lord will reward each person for whatever good work they do. In a similar passage from Colossians 3:23, it says, "Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward." You're serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there's no partiality. This good work or good pay, it's not always monetary like I was saying earlier. When we, view, when we view God's reward, God doesn't give us an extra bonus at the end of the year. Even the word reward here in the NIV, it's not used in the original Greek language. Instead, the word, which is a future tense, means to receive or to recover. Meaning, you'll receive from the Lord. So my second point is this, is that God compensates your work. So if you're following along and you're writing in your bulletins, you can write God compensates your work. You won't be Amazon rich by God. Like God doesn't say, hey, here's a bunch of money. He may, but you know that's not always the case. But God knows when you serve him while you while you work, it means that you will receive from God. You will receive richly the blessing from God. And God knows exactly what you need. I doubt that sometimes. I wonder, God, do you really know what I need? Because I think I know what I need. And sometimes God just needs to talk to me and say, Alan, this is what you really need right now. I'm going to jump to my third point, just so, just so you can write it down, then you can pay attention to. My third point is this, is that God desires you to fully work in your work. Now, that sounds pretty um, <laughs> self-explanatory, but... I want to talk about that. If you're a student, then you need to do your best to learn and listen from your teacher because you're called to be present and full in your work. If you're an employee, then remember to reflect God's image in all your actions and what you do because people are watching. God wants you to be salt and light in the workplace. He wants you to represent him. So work fully. Don't cut corners, like I said earlier. Don't leave early when no one's watching meticulously. I want to note that working fully, and I have to say this because of the culture in which we work and live today now, working fully does not mean working over like, your health or over your, like overworking oneself. God's very clear in keeping Sabbath. And from Genesis, we know that God desires that what, what resting well means. And I'm guilty of thinking that hard work equals consuming work, never ending work, thinking about work. Making work become an idol. But to be honest, we know what God thinks about idols and his feelings towards idols when he says that there should be no other gods before him. And sometimes work is all consuming and becomes that. I'm glad to say an update. This last week, we had our first Bible study at Qualcomm, and it encouraged uh, this friend of mine and also his other coworkers that he invited. And it was such an amazing experience. We were just sitting outside in the patio table. And they were frustrated because, I don't know if some of you heard, Apple recently uh, settled a a lawsuit with Qualcomm. And (laughs) the the title of the news was, uh, CEO gets a $3.8 million bonus. And my friends were a little frustrated. They're like, we're not going to see that. We're we're working so hard and we don't get to see that. And my word to him was actually from uh, Ephesians. And it was an encouragement of, well, what does it look like To represent Christ well in the place that you're at right now. And it doesn't mean just to swallow any abuse or anything that's wrong. But what does it mean to represent and say, well, the Lord has me. The Lord sees me. And that was challenging. And he felt encouraged. And he was encouraged that we actually had a Bible study at his company. So, Friends, work can really be gratifying. It can be filled with purpose, like I said. No matter how high or how low of a profession you're in. We do it all for the glory of God. If you wash dishes, do it so rigorously to the glory of God. Or if you're writing code for computers, then you do so for the glory of God. You can pause and say, I'm doing this for the glory of God. (laughs) Uh, Work was made not as a curse, but it was a filling of the earth. And some theologians, they, they believe this, that work will continue on into the new heaven and the new earth. And that's a whole new paradigm. I can only imagine this picture of an eternity of praising God, worshiping God, and then working with the king of heaven to bless one another. That's a, that's a whole other kind of paradigm that I'm trying to wrap my mind around sometimes when I, when I read that and I hear that. So why not learn what does it mean to work now for God's kingdom? And what does it mean to bring God's kingdom onto earth by being representatives of him, having God's purposes in mind, and to delete that, those selfish ambitions or the thought of our own limited influence I want to briefly share about a man in history named brother Lawrence he was a monk in a monastery in France in the 1600s there's a book about him called practice the practice of the presence of God he describes his work in the kitchen of the monastery and he's writing a letter to his friend and it says this uh, this is friend speaking although brother Lawrence he once Had a great dislike for kitchen work. He developed quite a facility for doing it over the 15 years he was there. 15 years of doing dishes for the monastery. (laughs) He attributed this to his doing everything for the love of God. Asking as often as possible for Grace to do his work. He said that he was presently in the shoe repair shop and that he liked it very much, but he would, however, be willing to work anywhere, always rejoicing at being able to do little things for the love of God. All we have to do is recognize God as being intimately present within us. This is what Brother Lawrence says. Then we may speak directly to him every time we need to ask for help to know his will in moments of uncertainty and to do whatever he wants us to do in a way that pleases him. We should offer our work to him before we begin and thank him afterwards for the privilege of having done it for his sake. My day-to-day life consists of giving God my simple loving attention. If I'm distracted, he calls me back in tones that are supernaturally beautiful. If you think of me, then remember the grace with which God has blessed me, rather than my typically human ineptitude. So for Brother Lawrence, it was an act of love for him to do dishes, an act of love to God to serve in such a way. And now, this could make us all feel bad or look bad for complaining about the smallest thing at work or at school, But it's truly a powerful reminder to us that Brother Lawrence writes of his own inability to do anything without God's grace. That is God's grace and God's mercy and God's presence that he taps into while he is working in order to truly serve. So when we go to work, it's not the man that controls us, but God who watches us with joy. And it says in Ephesians that God is our master. He is the one that watches uh, both our supervisor and us and so as as I'm concluding our time as I'm thinking about this passage I have to reference the latter section of this passage it's reference to masters uh, supervisors so those of us who, who supervise and those of us who are let's say in places of authority now, the consequence of abuse in the workplace in, of supervisors is real, and some of us might have been victims to that, and some of us might have, might have experienced that. Um, there are both professional and spiritual repercussions. I recently went through a process that we had to discipline a supervisor in my organization for crossing the line, and it was a very, very, very difficult situation. And the reality is, is trusting that God is moving things without me being able to see it, and that God's justice will eventually happen. But for some of us who are in it, it's the hard part. It's it's understanding this passage in the midst of suffering. And to believe it, when God says the call for the master is to understand that they are all under God, that all are accountable And all are seen in this passage, slave or free, master or servant, that all are called under God to obey him in obedience and to see what God has for them. So I want to talk about us today, and I mentioned my story about my workplace, both in in a secular context and a religious context that I'm under uh, supervisors also and, and I think about my own work even as a Christian minister and I think about how can I work hard too. And I want to challenge us with some responses just to think about. I want to ask, I'm going have to get through my scripture. Um, there are two ways to respond to this. And I want to propose this to you. As, as you hear about Ephesians 6 and as you hear about my story, about what work looks like, I want to ask, what changes do you need to make in your work to reflect the image of God? I want you to have a brief moment. You can write it down. You have your bulletins or you can write it down on another piece of paper. It, this could be, I want to translate it to campus also. What changes do you need in your, uh, to make in your work to reflect the image of God on campus or at work? And what barriers need to be removed for you to be that representation from God? And it could be, I'm going to try to complain less. Or I'm going to try to say something encouraging to my coworker, Or it could be, I'm going to try to work as hard as I can. And when people ask me, I'm going to talk about God. It could be even, hey, this last Sunday, we talked about work at church. And you mentioned that in your workplace. And for some of us, it could be start a prayer meeting. Start a Bible study at workplace. If it doesn't have one, it's a great place to meet others and minister to others as a Christian. It really is a call to influence the place that you're at. My second is this. Tell someone here at Home of Christ your struggles and prayer requests at work. I know some of you do this if you're involved in your small group or in your fellowship and, and you're thinking about this uh, already, y- you, you already know your struggles at work, but I think one of the largest misconceptions is when we think other people aren't struggling as much as we are. I think that's a large misconception in our church, and I think for us, we need to change that narrative and begin sharing the struggles that we have. And I realized that when I'm able to depend on my brothers and sisters in the difficulty, like I shared recently about this recent uh, situation where we had to discipline someone at work, it, it, it alleviates the burden because we're being the body of Christ to one another, and we're sharing in each other's suffering, and we're praying for one another. And so I want, I want you to just take a minute, just write down something like about how do you want to Walk in differently to your work or your school, the situation you're at. And even if you're at home, that, that your home could be called your workplace. I want, I want to talk about different occupations, different views that, that God still calls us to be faithful to the place that he has um, put us in. And so take, take a minute, just think about that and write it down. And then I want to pray for us and I want to bless you in that All right, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I don't know what current work situation or um, current school situation that uh, people in this um, church are going through. I know, Lord, you do, and I know, Father, that many find do find purpose in their work, and uh, many feel lost in their work. And I pray, God, that you would reveal their purpose for being the, in the place that they're at. And Lord, I pray that you would release them from places uh, of work that don't feel um, uh, right, that, that feels like they are um, under a, a heavy hand also. And so, Lord, I just pray that they would find freedom in that. But also I pray, God, just for the encouragement of sharing in one another's burdens and to ask for prayer in the places of deep struggle of work. Not just, hey, can you pray for my project? Can we go deeper with one another and say, here are my fears about losing my job, or here are my fears about what's happening next year for me at work? God, would that be something that brings a reality to what you're trying to create uh, here? And Lord, would we trust that you are the one that watches us with joy in our work and that you are the one that is with us in our work? So God, would you bless everyone in this room? Would you speak to them? Would your Holy Spirit give them the courage to pursue you uh, in their workplace and in their church? In Jesus' name, amen.